Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. We are continuing our series. We got some bass hitting, y'all. I'm getting ready to drop bars on y'all. Um, y'all don't want to hear that. Unless you like old school. Man, it's, it's really going. Y'all like that? I wish I had that in my 1997 Chevy Beretta when I was a kid. That would have been sweet. That thing was blue, and it was nice. It was all right. You know, if, if some of y'all don't even know what a Chevy Beretta is, but it, it was nice. And um, all of a sudden, it also had a swimming pool in it. When it would rain, the back would fill up with water. It was nice, you know. I'd be like, hey, ladies, y'all want to get my hot tub? You know, but nobody ever took me up on it. But anyway, <laughs> um, a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, my wife and I got the privilege to take a trip to Italy and Ireland. We got invited by our missionaries, the Swains, who a lot of you got to meet just a few weeks ago, to speak at a missionary conference retreat over right after Christmas, right the first of the year. We were so excited. I've never traveled that far away. My wife has been farther than that, but we were really excited to get away. It was the, the year of our 20th uh, wedding anniversary, and so that was really exciting. We get there, we had an amazing time. It was one of the most encouraging times of my life, and I was the one doing the speaking I was there to encourage them, but man, those missionaries from all over Europe and even parts of Africa just were a blessing to us. And we had such a good time. We saw some amazing sights, things I never thought I'd see, you know, the old buildings. I mean, we were in stuff that was like a thousand years old. There was an old monastery that was literally a thousand years old. I just can't even fathom that. And we get back, and everything's cool. We come here that, that following Sunday, and man, everybody's excited to see us. Man, we're hugging. This is like mid-January. And then we go through that next week, and Saturday night, I get, like, hit. I get this feeling it, like, crawls up my back and up the back of my head. I start getting feverish and feeling sick, and so I'm, like, panicking. This is Saturday night. This is, you know, preachers only work one day a week, and so my day was coming, right? You know what I'm saying? We do a little bit more than that. But anyway, so I'm like, man, I got to preach tomorrow. And I, I called up Stephen Reed, I believe. I believe it was Stephen. He was my go-to guy. I was like, man, have you got anything that you can do? I am very sick. And so Monday rolls around. I don't usually go to the doctor, but I go to the doctor, and they test me for the flu. And it's like, huh, it's negative. We could have sworn you had the flu. Well, I'm as sick as I've been in years for about five days. All kinds of body aches, nausea without getting sick, and all kinds of different things. And then, you know, I get better. Everything goes well. We quarantine. That's what we did. We invented quarantining. I know we didn't, but our family just does it. We got so many people. Like, they throw you in a room, and they slide food under the door, so you get slices of cheese. That's all you get. And so, you know, they put you in the room. And so everything gets better. And about a month and a half later, you start hearing about this thing called COVID. And they start listing off the symptoms. And it's like, symptom one, boom, yeah, I had a symptom two. Every symptom they said early on, I pretty much had. And then it started to hit me. I was patient zero. <laughs> you know, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I promise it was here before me. Um, but I started freaking out because if y'all remember, especially back then, it was like if you even said COVID or Corona, you better have a line, right? I mean, like if you said COVID, everybody's like, what? And, and so if you had it, you had the, the curse, the plague, and everybody was afraid of you. And so even though I was a well for a month and a half, 
I didn't tell anybody that I'm pretty sure that I had COVID because I was like, man, they'll stop coming to church. They'll stop being my friend. They'll burn my house down and chase my family out of town. I mean, I for real, for months, didn't tell anybody that I thought that I had it, past tense. You know, thankfully, nobody at church got it. I had hugged everybody that week, but we found out. You remember how the progression went? We found out that in, um, it was, it, you know, China had a lot of cases, and then you started hearing about Italy. Guess where I was? And then it broke out in Italy right about the time, right after we left. And so it was just crazy. And now, the reason I'm telling you all this silly long story is this. I wonder why the church isn't more like COVID. I wonder why the church, and I'm speaking big church, not just our church, but the church. Why isn't the church more like COVID? Why isn't our love more on the pandemic level? Why isn't it something that takes over the entire world? Why doesn't it spread like wildfire? First off, why doesn't it make the world stop and take notice? Because once we started hearing about COVID, coronavirus, whatever you wanted to call it at that time especially, we just started listening to anything and everything, and sometimes the wrong things, because there was a lot, and there still is a lot of wrong information out there. But we noticed, we stopped, we took notice, and why doesn't the world stop and take notice about the church? That's the question I want to answer. Why aren't we more contagious? Why aren't we more fast-spreading? Why aren't we something that the world is constantly talking about? The sad thing is, is that more often than not, most people aren't railing against the church. They aren't even thinking about the church. And that, my friends, is a problem. That is a problem. And I believe, honestly, as I think about it and I pray about it, I wonder, maybe it's because we aren't serious about discipleship. That's a word we don't even use a lot of times in our modern day vernacular. We don't talk about discipleship. We talk about a lot of things and we use some good terms and I'm not saying to throw out necessarily any terms if they are biblical or biblically based, but we need to talk about discipleship. I believe most most churches don't necessarily struggle with conversions. They do pretty good at different rates of having people come to Jesus or baptize into Christ and, and start a new life in Christ. But many times we get people out of the baptistry and we can send them off to hell to dry off. Because we never teach them. We never continue to teach them. And Jesus in his great commission in Matthew 28 as it's recorded says to go and to teach, to baptize, and to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. And I think sometimes as a church, we allow people to just go their own easy way. And most of us, when we start out as babies in Christ, we're not going to go seek out a lot of knowledge. We're excited, maybe. We're passionate. And so we're not going to get grounded in the Word of God. And as the trials and the troubles of life come, what happens? We can get choked out by those thorns. We can get withered out because we don't have enough root. And we as a church need to do all we can to talk about and teach discipleship. Basically, fellowship is something we do well, at least on some level, even the simplest of terms. We hang out together. We love to eat together. And that was probably one of our saddest times in, during COVID, not being able to eat with people a lot. But discipleship is a tough one. A disciple is a learning follower. Is a, that's a pretty good definition. A learning follower. And the picture portrayed in the Bible is a follower who multiplies. A follower who makes more followers. That's really what it's all about. If we're going to follow Jesus, that's great. But who are you bringing with you? 
that's a question I want you to answer. Who are you bringing with you? You know, in, in a lot of ways, it's just simply, simply at its base form, it's simply like we see early in the Gospels where he says, come and see. Come and see Jesus. You lead people to Jesus as best you can. But what does discipleship look like? Because it's one thing to talk about it, but it's a whole other thing to do it. Am I right? I struggle with it. We all probably tend to struggle with it. But what does discipleship look like? I believe Jesus gave us many good explanations, many good examples of discipleship, but there's one in particular I want us to look at today. As we talk about our vision here at Movement, which is to keep moving until the neighborhood knows Jesus. We talked about last week, the neighborhood is what? The whole wide world. And we keep doing that through discipleship and planning churches, multiplying churches. That's what we want to be about. And so this is part of our vision statement, where we base our vision statement from. Matthew 22 beginning in verse 34. You can follow there along in your Bible if you'd like or on an app, but we have it on the screen as well. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. These were the two ruling class religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just a little, I, I might, you might win something on Jeopardy sometime. Sadducees did not believe in angels or the resurrection. The Pharisees, they were a little bit more sticking to the miracles or the miraculous things like that. And they were kind of warring parties. And they got, they, it was like how, you know, Republicans and Democrats in a lot of ways. They couldn't always get along, but they had to get together to lead the Jewish people. Sometimes they did it well, a lot of times they did not do it well. But hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, because they were basically religious lawyers, tested him with this question teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law Jesus replied love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments Jesus said and it was a good answer they were trying to find some way to trap him, and he gave the best answer because, well, he's Jesus, but he was focused in on what he was all about and what he was trying to teach. Now, this passage is powerful. If you've been around the Bible, if you've been around church, chances are hearing that, you're like, yeah, that's good stuff. I heard a, a little bit of y'all amening and kind of, you know, agreeing with it. That's, that's a good thing. But what does that look like in life? That's where I struggle. That's where a lot of times we all struggle. How do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? It's a lot easier, what? Said than done. It's a lot easier said than done. Well, that first word, heart, is a, comes from a Greek word, cardia. And it's referring to literally like our emotions. Our emotions are important when it comes to our relationship with God. Some of us nail this. I mean, we nail it. I mean, we hit a home run. We get passionate and worship. I mean, if nobody else is around or if somebody else is around, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, hands are up. I mean, we may have tears flowing. I mean, we're singing out whether we can sing or not. And other people are like, woo, chill out a little bit. You know, I don't know. Maybe you're a good singer. I don't know. But, I mean, don't matter. You don't care because it's about you and God, and that's what it's supposed to be about. And some of us, we nail this. Other people a little more reserved, and you know, I mean, you ever, you ever seen the meme or the, the graphic that goes around on the internet and talks about the different styles of like, you know, worship styles, you know, it's like some people got this, the, like the two-step, 
got their hands up here, and some people get them up here, and, you know, you got some people do the fly. I don't need to do all kinds of stuff. But some people just sort of nail this part of the emotion side of loving God. Our emotions are connected. Some of us struggle with it. Some of us don't. We can pray these inspiring prayers. Maybe you even write poetry. I mean, you just kill it. But regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, what, whatever your style is and how you worship God, the question is this, what happens when life isn't great? What happens when the mu- music isn't great? <laughs> no, that doesn't happen here at Movement, but it might happen other places. You might catch a, a whiff of your own singing and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know. But what happens when life isn't exactly like you hoped it would be? I think we can all relate to that. How does your emotions or how do your emotions carry through in that situation? They may be locked in. They may be keyed in. And you may have the right focus. But many times we struggle with keeping the same passion and zeal for God when things are not going our way. Can you relate to that? It's a difficult thing. We've got to make sure that our emotions are not located and focused on the situation we're in. Emotions can fade. They can come and go. They are based on circumstances. But if we keep loving God with our whole heart, and we're going to get a little deeper in this in just a second, that's what we need to be focusing on. He says, your heart, your soul. This is a Greek word, psyche. And it it talks about the idea of a rational, immortal soul. You can just sort of summarize it pretty simply as saying your life, the existence of who you are, your rational, immortal soul. And the way I want to think about this morning is your will. When you think about loving God with your whole entire soul, I would say let's describe that as your will. You make your decision to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. And honestly... If I'm being real and you're being real, that may be the hardest one. Am I right? To make your will fit the will of God. Surrender your will to the will of God. And ultimately, sacrifice and and kill, destroy your will so that God's will can be lived out through you and in you. We want what we want. Am I right? We want what we want. Y'all remember the old slogan that Burger King, y'all ever heard of Burger King? I don't know if it's still open anymore. But he said, have it what? Your way. And we attribute that to life, don't we? We take Nike's slogan, just do it. And we want to do things just the way we want to do it. And we want to do it how we want to do it, when we want to do it. And so our decision that we have to make is to surrender our will to God in every way of every part, our very life to him. Jesus also said, your heart, your soul, and then he said, your mind in Matthew 22 in that passage. The, that word is a Greek word, uh, dianoia. So that, forgive me, I'm a, I'll butcher the, the Greek language. I'm not even trying to pronounce it that way. I'm pr- trying to pronounce it in a way that maybe it makes sense. The deep thought, the understanding, and for that, we'll just simply use the word thoughts. So is your will, is your emotions, are your thoughts, are they surrendered to God? Do you love God with all of those things? Many of us might nail this one really well. We treat the Bible as a textbook. 
you know, we know the Bible inside and out. We've read it maybe in multiple translations. We've got 37 copies of the scripture. We've got all three or four different Bible apps on our phone, and we've got all this sort of stuff. We know it, man. We know all the answers because we're pretty sure, we're pretty sure there's going to be a written test at the end. You know, there, there may be. We'll get up there and, you know, be like, all right, here's the test. You're like, I knew it. I was studying. And so you're hoping it's multiple choice, but you're prepared for a short answer. You're prepared just in case. You can say all, you can, you can, you know, talk your way through it. You can get around to giving that answer. Maybe you feel like that's sort of what it is. I don't think anybody really thinks that. But have you ever caught yourself sort of living that way? You pride yourself on how many facts you know about the scripture. And maybe, just maybe, maybe you're not so concerned about living it. Maybe you are, but maybe you're not concerned about living it. And you find yourself finding pride in how much you know. But the question is, how much of your heart and soul, not just your mind and your thoughts, belong to God? You see, I believe this is why Jesus quoted the Shema, this this Hebrew passage from Deuteronomy that Jews would begin and end their day with. It started out, the Lord our God is one. We're going to read part of it here in just a second. But I believe that's why he quoted it, because these words all sort of intertwine. Heart, mind, and soul all sort of touch along the same things, just a little bit of a different angle and perspective. And you and I need to learn, if we're going to be complete followers of Jesus, be disciples that make more disciples, then we've got to learn not to just get one part right, not to just get another part or another part, or not to just get two, but never try on the third. We need to learn to try to balance all three to get our heart, our mind, our soul, our thoughts, our, our, our feelings, our our will all surrendered to God that's our goal it's a difficult thing but if we keep it on the forefront of our mind I believe it becomes a little bit more attainable I'm thankful for grace though so here's what we do we have to seek God with our whole heart soul and mind every single part of it all of these words they overlap a little bit and that's intentional I believe because guess what God wants all of you. Not just in the sum total of all of us in here or the sum total of all the people in the world. He wants every ounce, every inch of each of you and me. He wants everything because he gave his entire life through his son Jesus on the cross and he gave his entire life and he wants your entire life because your entire life or any single part of it cannot stand before God on judgment day. You cannot stand before God in your brokenness, in your sin. It has to be paid for by the blood of Jesus. So let's look back really quickly at the passage that Jesus was referencing when he answered theirs. It's recorded in Matthew 22. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do 
you notice a pattern here? Do you, do you see what maybe, uh, you know, the God was trying to say to us through this passage here in Deuteronomy that he wanted the Jews or that the Jews repeated every morning and every night to start and to end their day? He's talking about him being a part and his word being a part of what? Every single thing you do. Can I ask you something? A lot of us in here know that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But it doesn't always look like that, does it? If you've got a smartphone, I've got an iPhone. But if you have a smartphone, it most likely has a built-in sort of uh, app, if you will, or feature that shows you screen time. And it will track certain things. And I am telling you, if you check that, it could be very eye-opening for you. Mine sort of averages around six or seven hours a day that I am using this device. Now, some of it is, you know, Andrew's got it and he's watching a video because I'm more spiritual than that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm throwing the kid right under the bus. Anyway, but no, some of it is that. But a big chunk of that time is me looking at this phone at things that don't make any eternal significance. It's a great tool and can be used for a lot of good, but it can also distract and it can also destroy. And you and I talk about we don't have time, we don't have time, but I would encourage you to spend this next week or say do it a month and say check your usage each day and see how much. It'll tell you how much you use on Facebook. Uh Uh-oh. It'll tell you how much you do on games. It'll tell you all sorts of different things. It'll challenge you and give you a, a, a view of where are you spending your time. Do I really not have time or am I just not using my time wisely? We say we don't have time. I, I love it. I've, I just said this recently, and you know, uh, you know, we all know Maddie very well, uh, and her dad is here, Kendall. His dad says one thing that I like to bring up many times. He's, he used to say years ago, before smartphones were really a big thing, he used to say, I have four more hours in a day than the average person. He said, I don't have a TV in my house. And that same principle is there. How much time are we wasting and we say we don't have time? So I want to point out the pattern that I see. And this is just my simple way of looking at it. Maybe to help your mind understand what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 is saying. Scripture together every day, everywhere. Immerse yourself in Scripture every day. If you have a smartphone, we literally have zero excuse. It will read it to you. It will read it to you. You can put it on your bedside and have it play to even put yourself to sleep as you listen to God's word. It will do any sort of things. There's reading plans, all sorts of things. But scripture, all throughout your life, together, in this particular instance, it talks about with their families, with your children, as you walk along the road. But I want to branch out, and I believe we've got reason for that, branch out to our entire church family, as many people as you can impact, spend time together in scripture with people as much as possible, together, every day, everywhere. He said, put it on your doorpost, put it on, you know, everywhere, wear it between your eyes, so to speak. I mean, use God's word, fill yourself with it, and if you think that's not necessary, you need to repent. I don't say that to be harsh, I say that because I love you. 
And if you think, oh, you're just being a little bit too crazy, you're missing the point. It needs to be my goal. I'm not saying I've got it figured out, but I'm saying it needs to be my goal. It needs to be your goal to spend as much time as possible in God's word, talking about it with family, kids, brothers and sisters, neighbors, relatives, whoever, as much as you can, every day, everywhere you go. We have to fill our minds with scripture, with our family, with our church family, every day in every part of our lives. And as we seek to make God the center of everything for us, we become attractive to the world. Robert McNamara said this, One solitary, God-centered, God-intoxicated man can do more, or woman can do more to keep God's love alive and his presence felt in the world than a thousand half-hearted, talkative Busy men living frightened, fragmented lives of quiet desperation. That's a mouthful, but man, it's good stuff. And if you and I would just surrender ourselves, our start with our time, something very practical that I did. You know, your phone might have different little features, but when I go into settings and I look at screen time, I click that little button, there's app limits that you can put on there. Just for the past week or two, I've been doing something new. I've been trying to, I'm not bragging because I'm a, fool with this. I waste seven hours a day on a phone sometimes. But here's what I've done. I've made it where a lot of my apps are not accessible until mid-morning. I can get to my Bible app. I can get to, you know, music. I can get a phone call, text message, a few of those different things like that. But Facebook, any kind of game that might be on my phone, it's not accessible. Any kind of, you know, Netflix, any of that, it's not accessible until nine or ten o'clock. Now, if I want to go do it, I can do it. It's just a little bit of a speed bump. But I've made this so I can say, nope, I'm going to start my day and I'm going to focus on God and being with the people that I'm around as much as I can. I want to encourage you to try something like that. Go on your phone. If you can't figure it out, we got plenty. We got some 12-year-olds. They'll nail it for you in just a heartbeat. You know, I mean, shoot, we got four-year-olds that could probably do it, you know, better than we can. But find ways to say, I'm going to devote myself to, to God's word. Read God's Word, not just in the morning, maybe not just before bed, but throughout your day. At lunch, read the verse of the day. Do anything but fill your mind and your heart together every day, everywhere with Scripture. So if we want to make disciples on the pandemic level, remember where we started? That seems like a long time ago. <laughs> we got to be contagious. And full devotion to God is contagious in a broken world. Half-hearted devotion is not. And I believe that many times we get caught up living lives of half-hearted devotion. And that's why the world doesn't care or even know that we exist and if the church, if just one or two or ten or twenty or a hundred or a thousand of us would just decide, I'm going to do my best to be fully devoted to God. And I'm going to start with just making habits of being in God's word every day with everybody that I can, as much as I can, everywhere I can. Then we'll start to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. And if we love God with everything and love our neighbor as ourselves, we will start a pandemic because God's word is powerful. God's word's always been powerful, but we hold it back many times because we don't live it and we don't know it and we don't thrive on it and we don't immerse ourselves in it. This is the kind of thing that's attractive and contagious. 
That's what discipleship is. To just give it another simple explanation. Fill up with the love of God. And then pour out the love of God. And then repeat. Fill up with the love of God. Then pour out the love of God to other people. Then repeat. Fill up with the love of God. Then pour out the love of God. And then repeat. Next week we're going to talk more specifically about pouring out the love of God. And we're going to look at Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. But what if we want to pour out God's love but we don't have any of it in us. You see, you got to be full first before you pour anything out of any consequence. What's keeping you from being full of God's love? There's a chance you know the answer to that question right now. Many of you probably thought of something that is your biggest hindrance, it's your biggest struggle, it's your greatest weakness, it's the sin that just drags you down every single time. For some of you, maybe you aren't there yet and you, you just need to think about it and you need to ask God to help you see that. But most of us know exactly what that answer is. And so what you need to do is go about ruthlessly cutting that out of your life and filling your mind and heart with Scripture so that you can be full of God, so that you can be poured out to other people. You follow that pattern in Deuteronomy. Scripture together every day. Let's put that on the screen. Scripture together every day, everywhere. That should be our goal time in and time again uh, out. Love God with your emotions. Some of us don't have emotions. <laughs> or we don't want people to see them. But you need to learn whether where you fall on that spectrum, you need to learn to love God with your emotions. It might look different for you than it does for somebody else, but learn to love God with your emotions. And I believe as you immerse yourself in Scripture with family every day, everywhere, or with friends every day, everywhere, you'll begin to fall in love emotionally with Jesus. Because you'll see his power laid out in scripture, how he's been faithful every single time. And you'll hear other people's stories of how they've seen that lived out. And as you do that every day, you'll grow in your emotional love for Jesus. You love God with your will. As you fall in love with Jesus upon hearing more about how faithful he's always been, you'll, you'll become more like his will. Your will will become more like God's will. And then to love God with your thoughts as your will becomes more like God's will, your thoughts will be transformed to be like his. I'm almost done. But I want to ask you this. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, I want you to do it in here and in here. How many of you say, I want to be in love with Jesus? I want to have this passionate fire and zeal for Jesus like he like I see in so many other people like I see in in his church I want that and I want to do the right thing but as much as I try I want my will to be God's will but as much as I try I fall back into the same patterns the same old ruts the same old grave the same old habits time in and time out how many of you say yeah that's me I struggle with that just like you do 
But what we have to understand is if we surrender every part, and it's a process, it's not going to happen overnight. As long as we've got this flesh and bone on us, there's going to be a struggle. God will redeem your spirit when you meet him, when you're washed clean in baptism, when you're raised up to walk in a new life. Your spirit is whole, your spirit is clean, your spirit is free, but you still got this wrestling to do until Jesus comes back or you go to be with him. And so it's every day surrendering every part of yourself, filling your mind with God's word, encouraging and talking to other people so that your mind and your thoughts and your actions can begin to be transformed. The renewing of your mind, it says in, in Romans chapter 12. Then you'll be able to say how good God is. And that will be your spiritual act of worship. But it starts with dying to yourself. truly be a disciple of Jesus you have to die to yourself Galatians 2:20 says I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me many times from this stage and many other places I talk about a good friend of mine who went to be with Jesus named Jose <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you the whole story right now but the short version is, is that he ran from God for most of his adult life. And the week he decided to go to church, he woke up with a severe headache. And the long, short version of the story is he had a brain tumor that ultimately took his life. And he decided at that moment, from that moment on, he began to rejoice. And he said, I want to be a Christian. As soon as he got out of the hospital, we baptized him into Christ. And man, his life was changed. Because even though he knew that probably death was very soon in his future, he died and surrendered his life to Jesus. And so he had no fear. He had no worries. And I've said many times before, and I'll say it again, I believe that that man impacted more people in 10 months of living for Jesus than many of us do in 10 years or could in 10 centuries. Because he completely died to self and let Christ live in him. Why? Because he knew he had no hope other than that. But guess what? You and I may not, praise the Lord, have a brain tumor, but we don't have a hope by ourselves. We don't have a hope. We are not promised tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. And so we're called to die today to self so that Christ may live in us and through us. And that is the linchpin, that is the turning point, the tipping point to any of this making sense, to any of this working, is giving everything to God so that He can give everything to you. Today is our day to die to self and become a disciple that makes disciples. I would be lying if I said, take a moment I'd be lying if I said take a week and think about it and pray about it I would be lying if I said take a little bit of time you, you know you've got time I cannot promise you as a faithful person of God that you have more than right now that is not a scare tactic that is just the God's honest truth today is the day to decide to be a disciple of his who makes disciples. It doesn't matter what you've done. It just matters what you do from here on out. Jesus and his grace take care of the rest.
If you need to give your life to Christ, I would love to talk with you. I'll be right down on the side. And I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you the gospel. And we can baptize you into Jesus based on the uh, repentance of sin, turning away from a life of sin, confessing him as Lord. You can be forgiven of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. Or maybe today you say, I've done those things and I need to come back and I need to be a disciple who makes disciples. We'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. We'll get you where you need to be. But don't think you've got any more. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.